It's time for the What in the Podcast. Sacramento, California is a city with rich history dating back even before its incorporation in 1850. At its inception, it was one of the nation's fastest growing cities as a result of the California Gold Rush and serving as the terminus for the Pony Express, as well as the first transcontinental railroad. Take a trip with us as we take a tour of Sacramento where the dead may be buried, but a few refuse to rest. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington, Kareen Peavy House, and Adriana Camito. Hello and welcome to the What in the Podcast. I'm your host, Kent Whittington. With me is my co-host, Adriana Camito. And tonight we are doing a uh, couple-part series on what, we, what we're calling Spooky Sacramento. Uh, this first part, we've invited some people along to help talk to us about Sacramento's history and maybe some of the the uh, spooky stuff in the past. Uh, I w- want to welcome Troy and Tina Glasson. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. And can you tell us what it is you do? Well, we are both uh, volunteers for the uh, Sacramento Historic City Cemetery. We we are historical interpreters. Uh, that's our that's our volunteers section, but I work for the San Juan Unified School District, and Tina? I work for the Sacramento History Museum as a historical interpreter and a good shop manager. Now, what do you mean by historical interpreter, exactly? Uh, We read the history, and then we interpret it in a manner where folks can understand it, like on a tour, um, and uh, explain things in a more less boring manner at more of a colorful manner. Um, we give the facts and we interpret them where they will be interesting for people to, to hear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, before we, before we get too deep into it, there's a, just a little lighthouse keeping I've got to do here. Um, wanted to let people know that our uh, co-host Kareen is not going to be with us for the foreseeable future. The, uh, COVID-19, because it's gotten worse, she's decided that she wants to stay away from podcasting for a while, but we do expect to see her when everything clears up. Uh, I want to apologize for the sound quality last week. We had what we thought were three good mics, turned out they were only two, and one of us had the bad one. (laughs) Gee, let me guess, mine? Yeah, it was yours. (laughs) Also, I want to mention again our email address. It's whatinthepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, what in the podcast. And we're still looking for those stories. If people have any they want to send in, please do. We'd love to see them. Uh, also, you can now leave a voice message with us, too, through uh, the Anchor app at anchor.fm slash what-in-the-podcast slash message. Just uh, clip that. You can click that link in the Spotify app. And it'll take you right to the message. You just leave a message. You can give us a shout out or you can say hi, whatever you want to do. 
Uh, if you got something you want to relate to us, please do. We'd love to hear it. Um, also, I wanted to give a shout out to Jerry and Tracy Pauly from Hillbilly Horror Stories. Uh, Tracy, in particular, has just joined our Facebook group at What in the Podcast, the What in the Podcast Facebook group. Sorry about that. And um, she's really excited to be a part of it. She's a friend of the show now, and we love having her there. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Jerry. And we, I love listening to your podcast. It's addictive for me. Oh, yeah. You guys you guys are a kick. <laughs> you guys are great. So. Anyway, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry for interrupting that a little bit there. But anyway, um, well, let's get down to it. Um, your, your cemetery tours, what are, what are involved with those exactly? Well, first of all, we'd like to give credit to the Old City Cemetery Committee. Uh, without them, this would not be possible. John Betancourt founded the Old City Cemetery Committee back in the early 80s. And it was his passion, along with another gentleman named George King, to revitalize a, a part of Sacramento's history that was so dilapidated and lost to history that uh, they, with this committee, they were able to start raising funds to restore headstones, restore the brickwork around headstones, identify where a lot of the residents there are buried that have been lost to history. So, and one thing you have to remember is that as you're walking through the cemetery, just because there's not a headstone does not mean that there's not someone there. Right. So it, and a lot of people get a little concerned about walking over graves and in all honesty, as long as you're being respectful, we like to think that the residents are enjoying your presence there. I'm sure they understand. I mean, we're talking about a cemetery that has, what was it, 36,000 thereabout? Between 30 and 40,000. Yeah, quite a number of people in that cemetery. So, <laughs> oh, I don't know. It sounds like there's plenty of company. <laughs> and uh, you guys do the historical tour specifically? Yes. Um, we started as as uh, plot caretakers, mm -hmm. and I'll let Tina talk about that. Uh, we started as adopt-a-plot uh, plot caretakers about uh, seven years ago, and um, I uh, saw that they were doing tours, and we had gone to an evening tour that was uh, all about beer and some of the brewers in uh, the Sacramento area. And we asked, do you do any other tours? And they said, yes. And so uh, we attended one and they were looking for someone to walk around with a clicker to get a count on everybody and someone to walk around with a clipboard and paper to get email addresses so that they could keep people posted. And that kind of morphed into uh, learning some of the stories and then eventually telling some of the stories and then eventually doing our own tours. Uh, the, the subjects for tours in the city cemetery are as limitless as the amount of individuals that are buried there. Just because they died, their stories are still alive and well. And that is our main passion is to keep those stories alive. And I could see that passion when we talked to you. We talked to uh, these two about, what was it, two, three weeks ago? Yes. And we, we, they actually took us on a tour of the cemetery. We were out there for, what, about three hours, I think? Two and a 
about two and, two and a half, half three hours in, and just so much to talk about. And I can tell you guys still had a lot more to talk about oh, yeah. when we left. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it was a great tour. It was a great tour, yeah. But the you know, sun's going down and all that stuff, so <laughs> we had to cut it short. But um, no, it was a lot of fun. So um, highly recommend their tours. Yeah, definitely. When they're up, when they're available and up and running again, highly recommend their tours. So for they're sure, very informative. They've got these little nitty, you know, itty bitty little details that are great. So. Now that's not so, to, not to say that the cemetery is not open to the public right now, right? It, it is open to the public. it is on the public. So if you feel the need to go and you want to explore. By all means, it's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful. I'm sure everybody living and dead would love to have you out there. <laughs> have yeah, a picnic. That's they, always a good thing to do at a cemetery. It's a good idea if you do uh, want to go on your own to remember that they have little uh, residents there with uh, white stripes down their backs mm -hmm. and raccoons and owls and all kinds of other critters and some uh, feral cats. So just uh, watch yourselves. Be also, mindful of nature. Also, Mason work is not 100% <laughs> in all the plots, so just be careful. Yeah, definitely. And respectful. So, so um, I wanted to actually talk about the cemetery. Um, let's talk about some of the notable people who were buried there. Okay. Uh, well, we have three governors of California buried there. Uh, governor number three, who was John Bigler. Uh, governor number 11, who was Newton Booth. And governor number 13, who was William Irwin. Uh, the most colorful of those three might have been Newton Booth because he was not only governor, he was also a state senator and the United States representative for California. Uh, he owned a building on Front Street between J and K that uh, they called Booth and Company. And uh, he was quite the partier at the time. Uh, he, was the, he was the uncle of a very famous author by the name of Booth Tarkington, in case you're at least a bit curious about that. Um, how about our railroad magnet, Barry Uh Mark Hopkins. He was one of the original big four that... Uh, basically financed the uh, Central Pacific Railroad at the behest of Theodore Judah. And he has the largest mausoleum in the cemetery there. And it's roughly, it, there's, it's set aside, it's set apart in five different sections on the top, five different sections on the bottom, and each section is about 20,000 pounds of uh, pink granite from Fort Laramie, Wyoming, the, the Fort Laramie, Wyoming area. That's the one that had the vases out front, yes. the big ones? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it had large urns, and those mm -hmm. urns were originally tapped to the to the water table mm -hmm. when, when it was built in the uh, 1880s. And since then, they've had to be backfilled. Right. Uh, there's... There's uh, the, the whole foundation is built out of uh, gray granite out of uh, Immigrant Gap mm -hmm. up on uh, I-80. Okay. But it, it's the largest, and it's in the Pioneer plot, which is towards the back of the cemetery. Right, right. Yeah, that's a pretty, it's, beautiful. it's a beautiful mausoleum, definitely. Um, let's see who else should we talk about here. Um, oh, I wanted to talk about the, the 
the two statues that you guys were talking about. One is turned, oh, and there's a story oh, yeah, behind I like, that. I like the story if you guys wouldn't mind talking about that one. So there, so there were two pear farmers, and that that wasn't their entire life was pear farming, but this is what's related most to their to their livelihood, and that was uh, Joseph Green and Reuben Kirchival, mm -hmm. and they lived down in Cortland, and. If you look at their if you look at their statues, you can see that one's considerably taller than the other. Right. And so you have you have Joseph Green, his is extremely taller than Reuben Kirchival's. And the reason for that is and the reason for that is because <laughs> Reuben Kirchival died before Joseph Green right. because they were they were they were very good friends. Their farms, their pear farms, uh, were right next to each other and they always competed against each other. Mm -hmm. Who could get their their crop to market first? Uh, who had the largest crop each year? And when they actually, when Joseph Green decided that he wanted to go to the city, which was a trek from Cortland at that time, to buy his plot, Kirchival said, "I'll go too." So they rode together, and that's actually the reason why their plots are side by side, hmm. just as their farms were in in life. They live in death uh, next to each other. Yeah. Is that a relation of yours? I was just thinking that. <laughs> I might have to check with my dad, actually. My, my grandfather's name is Joe Green, and he was a pear farmer. Yeah, in Cortland also. Um, I don't know if it's a family thing or not, or maybe. It, it, it could be. very well be. Food for now, is Definitely. it green with an E on the end? No, no. See, his is green with an E on the end. Oh, it's the other it's green. It's the other green. Okay. It's the other green on the island. <laughs> Sorry, there's a, there's a couple of greens on the island. We know the other green as well, so it's probably his grandfather. <laughs> okay. And yeah, now, now, one of those statues got turned. Can you tell me how that happened? Sure. In uh, January of 2017, we had a really heavy rainstorm in Sacramento area. Mm -hmm. And at one time, there was a very large tree right next to Mr. Green's monument. And it had very large branches. And during the storm, one of those branches came down. And it hit the side of the statue on top of the monument and turned her just enough so that she no longer faces the same direction as Mr. Kirchhoff's. She has a different view now, and because it didn't cause any real damage, and they thought it would cause more damage to try to right her, uh, they decided she has tired of one view, and she must like the new view. <laughs> she actually is looking back towards Cortland now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did notice that, and I thought that's kind of that's kind of apropos. Definitely. Um, now, now, uh, how about the Morgan brothers? Oh, I like this one too. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> they told us a lot of stories. They told us a lot of really wonderful stories. So the Morgan brothers are actually buried right in front of Green and Kirchival. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately they don't have headstones and whether they were, whether they sank, uh, which was common because the, uh, all the soil in that, in that particular part of the cemetery is a really sandy loam, mm -hmm. and it's easy for, especially over a hundred years, for the headstones to sink. And some of that prior to that was underwater anyway to begin with because of flooding. Was well, that right? Not, or? No, not there. I'm mistaken. Yeah, it has okay. flooded there. <laughs> right. But that area, that area was 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 made by the 
the traveling of the American River. Right, that's what you said. Okay, so, okay. So, yep. so where the American River is now, it used to run closer to the consumedness. Mm-hmm. And that's its, that was this ancient path. Right. And that's what created all that sandy loam was when the river started migrating north. It created Sand Hill, which is right next to where these where Percival and Green are, mm-hmm. and it's the highest point in the cemetery. And if you and if you stand on top of what we call Van Borghese Hill and look straight out, you're actually at the same level as Highway 50. Okay. Oh. So that gives you an idea of how high that hill is, and you you don't really notice it, but as you're going through the cemetery, you're raising about 20 feet in elevation. Yeah, it is hard to tell because if you're on if you're it's on so highway fifty, it's kind of gradual as far as the rise or the fall. You don't really notice it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's roughly a one percent grade, mm-hmm. which is also interesting because when Theodore Judah had to develop the the transcontinental railroad from Sacramento to to and over the Sierras, he was only allowed to use a two percent grade. Okay, so that's why you see long. That's why we have these uh, long stretches of long road all over the place. Yeah, railroad, especially uh-huh. around Donner Pass, how it goes all the way around the mountain, right, and then goes through all the tunnels. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the reason why it's it's if if you're you get an idea of walking through the cemetery, you get a one to two percent grade, mm-hmm. and that's what they had to deal with back in the 1860s. Right. Speaking of Donner Pass, there's actually somebody buried in the cemetery from the Donner Party. Is that correct? Absolutely. That would be Philippine Peaceburg, who was the wife of the most hated man of the Donner Party, uh, probably at that time the most hated man in uh, California, Louis Keesburg. Now, Louis Keesburg was not a kind individual, and he did beat his wife, they say, through many, uh, the Reed family and some of the other families had uh, testimony written about uh, how he abused his wife. She miscarried a child along the way. And uh, uh, most of the other men in the other families had to restrain themselves. And uh, so once they got to uh, California and were rescued, and he was the last one rescued, by the way, mm-hmm. and they were wondering where Tamsin Donner was when they were rescuing him. And uh, he said, oh, she wandered off, but... Uh, one can only imagine what happened to her because there were human remains all over the place where he was rescued from. I was going to say, if you know anything about the Donner Party, there were probably a few people that just didn't make it because, uh, well, they probably made it, but just not in not in the whole sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. They lost their appetite. Yeah, you might but say I that. I would say that uh, <laughs> uh, Philippine was, uh, she had several, they had several more children once they got to California. And, uh, but she was uh, just a shadow of herself because even though she really may not have participated at all in any of the cannibalism, the fact that she was married to him uh, was made her a social pariah. Mm-hmm. And so when she passed away, uh, their children made nice. sure that she got buried in the city cemetery. Now, Lewis Kiesberg, they say, uh, was put into a hospital in Sacramento that was for those who couldn't afford to pay for a regular doctor. 
and that he died in the hospital and was buried on the hospital grounds in an unmarked grave. Uh, so whether or not that's true, nobody knows because no one's been able to find any uh, evidence of where he where he met his fin finality. But uh, so even though she was one of the pioneers of California because of who she was married to, Philippine Peaceburg was ostracized to the very back, almost of the pioneer section of the cemetery. Head off to the side. Too. Yep. Saw, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's sideways too. She isn't she over by the the. Um, people that were moved from the other from the correct yes it, it's actually a strip of, of land that was set aside for when they did she come from the other cemetery or was she originally yeah. buried there she was originally buried in new helvetia no that's okay so that's why she's in the side with all the new helvetia okay right. and so so she is buried in the strip of land that has basically it's a mass grave of re of reinterred residents from new helvetia cemetery that was at the corner of what is now Alhambra and Jay. Mm -hmm. It's Sutter Middle School now. Right. And um, can you tell us why New Helvetia is no longer there? New Helvetia is, is no longer there because that was actually the, the, the first cemetery mm -hmm. outside of Sutter's Fort. Right. There was a cemetery right at Sutter's Fort, but that one met the same fate as New Helvetia did. It the, the one at Sutter's Fort flooded every season, and so they so they uh, dug up all the graves and moved them to a new location, which was which became New Helvetia. And by the way, New Helvetia means New Switzerland mm -hmm. in in Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Swiss settlers in the beginning. John Sutter. John Sutter was actually really the only one. But a huge German population did come here during the gold rush. Mm. And, and and later on, there were a lot of Swiss. In fact, one of the gentlemen that I, one of my characters that, that I portray was a Swiss brewer. And we'll come to him later. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, was that the last one of the last uh, graves we saw? Yes. He was very excited about that grave. <laughs> she no. was very excited for him, too. And New, Helvetia is <laughs> New Helvetia is actually interesting to me because when they... Uh, when they raised it, basically, and the school was built over it, and the neighborhood surrounding it, some of those lawns still have the the headstones, or not, I mean, the the plaques, so the head, yeah. still on, still on the ground. Yes, and in fact, there was uh, so in 1955 was when they started the uh, reinterment of the New Helvetia residents into the old city cemetery. Right. Did they move them other places too, or just the city? Yes, city? they, they oh, also went to East Lawn. East Lawn. Oh, okay, just and, curious. And they also went other places all over the state because some families moved out of the Sacramento area. Right. And, and when they, when it was, when the information was given to them that they were going to be uh, moved, they were allowed the opportunity to take the remains themselves and put them in other family plots. So Mountain View in in. Uh, Alameda County uh, and several other cemeteries have New Helvetia, but not not the amount that that moved to Old City. Yeah, and and actually East Lawn has more than we do. Goodness. And there's a special section just for the the New Helvetia. At yeah, at, no. at, at, at East Lawn. Back. It's in the very back, just as it is. Luck. Yeah. Done that. One thing Sacramento definitely has is beautiful cemeteries. Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> All the plants and everything in them—it's just beautiful. It's a nice walk, even if you're not looking at the headstones. Mm -hmm. yes, it is. Definitely. 
So, but I still find it fun to look at that. <laughs> you told us a story. Just me. About one of one of the uh, the residents, who they found shot in their locked room. Do you remember telling us about that one? Yes, and unfortunately, I don't have my notes, so I can't remember his name. Bruce. Bruce. I remember. Think, yeah, okay. you said Bruce. It was a twelve-year-old. Yes. That's what that's what struck me the the most about all this was twelve years old. So he he was in when the shot was heard. They came to his room in in the in the home, uh, and they actually had to break down the door because the door was locked from the inside. From the inside, right? And the windows were all shuttered, and the gun that had killed him was on the other side of the room. And it is possible that he had taken his own life, and when he hit the ground, the gun traveled mm-hmm. across the room. It's a possibility. But, but is it a likelihood? But is it a likelihood? <laughs> Probably not. So it, it's it's one of the 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 really, if you could consider a paranormal death, that's actually accounted for down there. Now, what makes that paranormal? If the gun's in the room with him, I, the fact that it's just on the other side of the room, away from him. I I would say because just the just the definition of paranormal is above the norm. This is true. And Normally, when you take your life, you fall and the gun falls with you. Right. So this makes it sound like he shot himself and then threw the gun across the room. Yeah, which is almost impossible. Either that or that gun had a a heck of a kick. And it was bolted bolted from the inside. So it it couldn't have just been locked and shut. We had this discussion at the cemetery. So I remember that. That was the the weird thing about it. It was actually bolted from the inside. Yeah, definitely what we call a paranormal death. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Especially with a 12 year old. They don't usually kill themselves or think about that. It's more of a let's survive type thing at that in the, in the 1800s. It was a survival thing. Definitely. Speaking of survival, <laughs> you, you talked to us about uh, two brothers. Um, oh. So the Morgan brothers. The Morgan brothers. Yeah. Um, they had a falling out or something like that um, with no. a third person. Well, or, it, or am I thinking of somebody else? No, it, it, it's, it's kind of along those lines. Okay. So, don't patronize. <laughs> oh, but it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. So there's uh, the Morgan brothers are uh, Henry and Joseph. And if, if you look in the, in, the, in the archives, they actually have, they both have a couple of different names. But Henry and Joseph are their given names okay and uh so henry and joseph they were uh, they received a farm upon their father's death also down in the Cortland area mm-hmm. and they were the they, they were a couple brothers that really didn't like farming they liked fishing and, and hunting and, and you know hanging out on the river and, and, you know, just being boys, but you know, they were young men. Right. And so one day, uh, and I'm only going to say his name, his last name once. And, uh, you'll understand why his name was George Baumgartel. (laughs) It is a tongue twister. Yeah. I think I'd try to say that once only myself. (laughs) So, so so now it's George. Okay. (laughs) And the, the, the brothers, uh, Henry and Joseph, were with George out fishing all day. Mm-hmm. They came back, 
and it was decided that uh, Henry decided that Joseph would have to get up in the morning to make them breakfast. And Joseph said, well, we'll see about that. Right. So the next morning, uh, Henry and George wake up. They go downstairs and Joseph's not awake yet. So they yell up to the up to the uh, upstairs to have Joseph come down. And he replies back that, you know, I'm not going to come down. I'm going to sleep in. So a few minutes pass. They're yelling at Joseph again. And he uh, he says, no, I'm not coming down. And they're just you know, give, giving him the, the, the business end. Reading the riot act, yeah, basically. Yeah, reading the riot act. Okay. And then they hear Joseph coming down the stairs. And then they also hear the charging of a shotgun. And he gets down there. He levels the shotgun at them. And they both split. Both George and, and Henry take off. You know, the, 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 the other name that you'll hear Henry called is Harvey. Harvey, okay. So, but Henry and uh, George, George goes out the back door. Henry goes out the front door. And Joseph opens up the, the, the front door after he goes through. He sees Henry making his way towards the towards the fence. And he levels a shotgun and fires. And down goes Henry. And he bolts out. Joseph bolts out the, the house, runs to the runs around the, the, the farmhouse, and just as he's rounding the corner, here comes George. And he tells George, he says, I've already killed one man today. Don't make me kill another. Mm-hmm. So George takes off and he goes and gets help. In the in the meantime, the neighbors in the area have heard the shot early in the morning. Right. So they start making their way there. And uh, a deputy makes his way back with George. And one of the things that George was going to do is he was going to run towards the barn to see if he could get a, see if he could hide in there. But he noticed that the, when he was trying to get away, the barn door was closed. And when he arrived back with the, the deputy, the barn door was open. Okay. So he stated to the deputy that door was not open before. Joseph may be in there. So the deputy went in, and sure enough, Joseph was in there at the back of the barn with his head blown off. You can only assume that he felt so bad about killing his brother that he ended his own life there. And they did have some other siblings, and they ended up taking over the the farm, and, and it was sold not long after that. But they 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 don't have headstones, mm. and whether or not. Like we were talking about the the Sandy loan, right? Uh, whether or not they had sunk, or if if maybe even never even had any, you know, the siblings may have decided that they don't need to be recognized because of the situation. Because of what happened, yeah. <clears throat> well, all I can say is maybe he should have just made breakfast. He probably should have. <laughs> okay, so while we were talking, I wanted to ask you about Maria Rupp. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Sure. Now. Uh, Maria was born in Germany in the 1830s, came to uh, California to Sacramento in the 1850s. And at this particular time, uh, California is in the middle of the gold rush. People are just uh, pouring into Sacramento. Uh, Some are staying a day, some are staying longer. Um, There aren't a lot of women in Sacramento at this time. Uh, The ratio was about 
eight to ten men for every single woman. Mm -hmm. So uh, Maria got a job running a saloon called the Sacramento Beer Saloon that was on K Street uh, between 3rd and 4th, so underneath what is now uh, the I-5 freeway. Right. And uh, in this particular time, women don't have a lot of outside options of the home. Right. So usually they marry at a very young age to a man who's at least twice their age in some cases, having a bunch of kids, and uh, the man makes the money rules, owns the property, sometimes considers women the property. So Maria comes to this country, probably doesn't speak a lot of English, but according to the Sacramento Daily Union, she was absolutely beautiful. And not only was she beautiful on the outside, but she could sing and play piano. And uh, she uh, makes everyone fall in love with her as soon as they see her. And uh, caught the eye of a local doctor by the name of Francois Noisette. And Francois, um, being a doctor, probably was very smitten by her. He's a young man. She's a beautiful woman. She's working in a saloon, so you know there are men that are drinking and probably proposing to her on a daily basis. I would imagine and, if she's as beautiful uh, as they say she was, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And one of those men was most likely the other character in this particular saga by the name of Peter Metz. Mm -hmm. And Peter Metz was a local carpenter in Sacramento area and uh, was kind of mercurial and strange and walked around and talked to himself and and seemed to see things that other people couldn't see, but most people thought, well, that's just Peter being Peter. He does an honest day's work, so they don't really pay too much attention to him. And he tells one of his uh, acquaintances that he is in love with Maria and he wants to marry her. Well, by this time, Francois is already engaged to Maria. And uh, everyone knows that. It's common knowledge. So, uh, so he's basically laid his claim at this point. Yes. I think yeah, I think it's what you mentioned. Uh, would, a a yeah. binding contract. A binding contract. Yes, what, thank you. A betrothal was at this particular time, and uh, Peter Metz tells his friend he's in love with Maria and wants to marry her. And his friend says, "You can't marry Maria. She's already engaged to be married to Francois, the, mm -hmm. the, the physician." Well, Peter Metz is now enraged, and he says, "Well, if I can't have her, no one will have her. She she will die before anyone else gets a chance." And on the night of November 18th, 1857, Maria is in the saloon at the piano playing and singing for all of her guests. Mm -hmm. Probably a Stephen Foster song like Camp Town Races or Oh Susanna. Very popular uh, tunes at that particular time. Right. And it <clears throat> walks Peter Metz into the uh, saloon. And according to records, they said he walked in with a butcher knife in his hand. Okay. So he sits down on the piano bench next to Maria. And everyone's drinking and singing. They probably don't even realize that he's got that butcher knife in his hand. He puts his arm around Maria. And he takes the knife and he jabs it right into her right breast, right below the nipple. Well, that uh, ruptures her aorta. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. Pierced her Pierced liver. Pierced her liver. Pierced her liver, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she's fallen down onto the floor of the saloon and bleeds out about 15 minutes later. But it's a very crowded saloon, so there's no way that Peter Metz can say 
I didn't do it. In fact, he probably said, look what I did. I just stopped her from marrying that other man. Well, I'm sure everyone saw him. Now, <laughs> afterwards, there's a very long trial. Mm -hmm. uh, California just had a brand new prison built called San Quentin. Mm -hmm. And that is where Peter Metz was originally sentenced. But, and I'll let Troy continue. So he did go to San Quentin and they, the, he was able to convince the warden there that he was insane because that was one of his, his, his defenses. That was part of his defense during the trial was that he was insane at the time. Right. And nobody bought it. So that's why he was sent to San Quentin, but he did convince the warden that he was insane. So the warden arranged to have him sent to the Stockton Asylum, which was newly built as well. Mm -hmm. And he was there for approximately three months. And the entire time that he was there, he was working the, the bars in the in his cell. Working the loose, you mean? Yeah. And, okay. And he was just kind of twisting them. Right. And twisting and pushing up and pulling down. And in the process... He was a very slow jackhammer. and So he's basically just grinding into the concrete yeah, or the stone yeah. or wherever they, they had built it with. And yeah, so, 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 so he was just drilling it. Mm -hmm. And he was able to escape. And by the time that they realized that he was gone, he was already on his way north. And he was, he was spotted in Marysville. Okay. And there was a gentleman that was familiar with who he was, with the trial, with the murder, and noticed him. So he had. So the gentleman that that with, that saw him asked his friend to keep an eye on him, mm -hmm. while he went and got uh, the police. Right. By the time they got back, Peter figured out that hey, they're watching me. So he took off again, and in. Uh, August, uh, that was in August that he had escaped. And uh, in eight, in August of 1858. And in September, he was found in Wairika. And this time he didn't escape. Okay. And they brought him back. And, mm -hmm. But instead of taking him back to the asylum, they decided they were going to take him to San Quentin where he belonged. Right. And because it was clear that he had enough enough rationale to stay on the run for for almost two months. Mm -hmm. So he's not he's not as insane as he as they as he played himself to be. Right. Yeah. So you fast forward to 1874. At this point, he is now the longest serving prisoner in San Quentin, and that's. Not saying much now because San Quentin's been there for 170 years. Right, it was brand years, new back then. But it was brand new then. Right, so right. this is he's it, it's almost 20 years mm -hmm. that he's been there in 1874, and he requested a pardon by the 11th governor mm -hmm. Newton Booth. Newton Booth. Newton Booth. And Newton Booth, I can actually maybe I don't have it with me, but. Um, he had, here we go. He had requested the pardon and no, that's not it, but he, 
<laughs> it's all right. <laughs> we're not laughing at you. We're, we're, the same. we're laughing with you. <laughs> we're the same way about stuff. Booth, Booth basically said that the atrocity that he committed on the city of Sacramento and specifically Maria Rupp, he would never become pardoned under his watch. And less than a year later, it was an election time, mm -hmm. and Newton Booth actually did have him released. Right. And after that, Peter's lost to history. But there's still one other person that were, that's not spoken of yet. One other person in the saga was the fiancé, Francois Noisette. Now, Francois being a doctor, most doctors at this particular time put up a will saying that if they die for whatever unforeseen reason, that their bodies are to be donated to medical science to further research. And he outlived Maria by only four years. And when he died... His body was donated to science all except for one part or one organ, which was the heart. And in the city cemetery, there is a large granite cross for Maria, everything written on it in German. Mm -hmm. And right next to Maria's uh, cross is a very tiny little headstone that uh, shows a hand clasping another hand into heaven. And uh, in French, Francois was French, it says something to the ilk of my heart lies with Maria. It, it actually says, a toi Marie, which means my heart belongs to Marie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice story. Nice, nice romantic, a nice romantic ending to a, to a, to a bad one. Oh, what, and what got me about that story also is that he was pardoned after being told he would never be pardoned because, you, like you said, it was an election year. Typical politician. And he lost. <laughs> and then he lost the election on top yeah, of it. Yeah. He said he lost the election yep. after. Probably because of what he did. The, the pardoning. So, one thing I would like to talk about that we didn't really get to talk too much about were, were the headstones themselves. Mm-hmm. Because each headstone is unique. Right. There's a lot of symbolism involved. A lot of symbolism. And, mm -hmm. and unlike unlike today. The hand ones. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She explained that at the cemetery. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Anyway, go on. Go ahead. So, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they, they're, they're works of art. Mm -hmm. And you'll see on, not all of them, but on quite a few, especially the early ones, between 1850 to, to around the turn of the century, 1900. Mm -hmm. The, the the stone cutter's name will be in there. Right. He will cut his name in the stone. But these 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 were these were people that they were burying their children, they were burying their loved ones, and they wanted to make a testament to the fact that this this may be the the, the, the end of their line. Mm -hmm. And there is a cutting in the stone of the Calderwood children. There's a triple headstone. And I would just like to, to read what it says. It says, Our little buds have gone. They fell asleep so sweet. The angels took the precious ones, but we again shall meet. We feel the loss is sore of those so fond and dear. Heaven seemed near to us before, but now is doubly near. And 
that's the way that they that they showed their love for their family, for their mm-hmm. love for their children, whoever it was. And sometimes you'll see a stone that just says their name. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that nobody cared. No. But sometimes that, that little personal touch. Or else sometimes that name was, like was all mother. you could do really too. Yeah. It'll say yeah. mother or our baby, mm-hmm. our daughter, you're also, um, whatever. Yeah, and you're also talking about a time where there were where there were epidemics, plagues, things like that. Children were taken at a very young age mm-hmm. quite often. Yeah. There wasn't the medicines we have now. But right. No. Well, it, n- not necessarily, but for the majority of individuals. It wasn't available for everybody. Um, it, it's, it's more of a question of the parent being uh, kind of at a loss of what to do. They've done all the old wives tale remedies. None of that works. So they go to the doctor and the doctor gives them a syrup that has a huge amount of uh, alcohol content in it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that child has a really bad cough. And uh, the parent is said, is told to give the cough syrup. And after a little while, give them more cough syrup if it doesn't shut them up. And sometimes uh, a huge amount of alcohol is going to go into that child's system. Maybe they haven't eaten for a while because they've been so sick. And now they have maybe developed alcohol poisoning. Um, Sometimes they're given morphine for pain. And uh, the morphine would have a really high content of opium in it. And uh, they're going to say, and, I, and I'm and i hoping there aren't too many doctors offended by this, but doctors like money then just like they do now. Oh, definitely. And they're going <laughs> to tell that individual who's desperate, when, when you run out, come back and I'll give you more. Right. You've got money, I'll sell you more. So what they're doing so basically is they're treating the symptom, but not the, but not the actual... They're also creating one heck right. of an addiction. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And uh, the individuals that are in major pain, say they fell off a horse or uh, got a knife thrown at them or had a potato thrown at their sternum, that which happened, uh, a child died by... Having a potato thrown at them. Oh, it's like hitting by a rock. That's right. Really. Well, Basically, a large bud. Don't have that. Especially not everything is is connected up here. One developed. sock to the heart could stop the heart in a child. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, no, I can see why the potato could do mm-hmm. it. Yeah, painful. And so, then parents were at the mercy and doctors. A lot of them in Sacramento and ridiculous. and in any gold rush town or developing city, uh, a lot of them would take advantage of these parents. Now. A lot of the doctors in Sacramento were legitimate doctors, started the California Medical Board and the American Medical Board, and a lot of the doctors, there were 17 that treated cholera victims in the 1850 cholera epidemic. All they have is a little plaque near the front gate of the cemetery naming their names. One of them says, Dr. Unknown Name. But uh, they risked their lives where a lot of other folks, you know, probably would have just tried to stay away from anybody, especially with cholera, because that killed very quick. Right. So um, it's, it's... But when yes. you're talking about the charlatans, you're talking about people like barbers, snake um, oil salesmen, people who put their shingle on the door saying, hey, I'm a doctor, come see me, yeah, basically. Yeah. I'm glad they don't do that today. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> There's accountability. Usually. Today. Yeah, now we Most, have accountability. Mostly. Mostly. I shouldn't say always, because there are some people... I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Them. It still happens today. Just 
Not as much. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about one of the uh, the more famous or, or beloved, I should say, characters in the cemetery, uh, May Woolsey. Or Woolsey, I'm sorry. Little girl. Oh, yes. Yeah. May Holster Woolsey, who mm -hmm. died in 1879 of encephalitis, mm -hmm. which for those of you that don't know what that is, it is uh, what they would now probably call a form of West Nile virus. Mm -hmm. She got bitten by a mosquito. Her brain started to swell. All she knew is that she had a really, really bad headache. And May was a straight-A student. She was a budding artist. And uh, her drawings uh, were, were keepsakes for her parents. But when she uh, passed away very suddenly of this uh, swelling of the brain or encephalitis, her parents were very grief-stricken. Um, and uh, they were so grief-stricken, they didn't want to have any reminders of her in their home on E Street. So they, they took everything that reminded them of her, all of her photographs, uh, locks of her hair, her clothing, her toys, her reader books, everything, and put them into a large trunk and stuffed it into a little room underneath their staircase and sealed it off where no one could touch it. Mm -hmm. And basically, May then got encapsulated into a little room for 100 years. And then the 1970s, late 1970s, a gentleman bought the house and decided to gut it. And in uh, tearing out the old staircase, they found the trunk. And a hundred years could produce mold and mildew and all kinds of uh, da uh, damage to uh, fragile items. And when they opened up the trunk, everything in that trunk was as if it had just been put in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen the trunk actually. Um, it's currently in the Sacramento, the Sacramento Historic History, History Museum. Yes. yes. And uh, a lot of her contents um, are actually at the Center for Sacramento History. And um, I believe today the History Camp people got to actually go virtually to the Center for Sacramento History and see a lot of her items. Mm -hmm. That was a recent but, thing I saw, yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, her, her mother mm -hmm. uh, had consorted with mediums to make sure that May had made it to the other side and uh, they're saying that when they opened the trunk, they had found a letter stating uh, that May had written saying, don't worry, mother, I made it to the other side. Now, this is all hearsay because 1979 is a long time ago. Yeah, I actually have a, an excerpt here from that diary, allegedly. Oh, it says, uh, Dear Mama, I am so happy as I did write to you and say I was happy. Now, Mama, dear, do not weep for me. I am not dead. No, only gone before to wait your coming when you will be cut out of all sorrow and care and will be happy with me. Oh, what pleasure there is in the spirit life no one can tell. Only think of everlasting life and pleasure where we know no sorrow. All is sunshine. There is no cloud to darken our path as on earth. We have our choice of mission. Very sweet. Mm -hmm. And people visit that grave. That is the most visited grave in the city cemetery of all 30 to 40,000 residents. Toys and coins and jewelry. 
papers. Oh, that, 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 that headstone was completely covered stuff. when we were there yeah. visiting. There was yeah. arts and crafts stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there, there yesterday, yeah. and there was new stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's like a continually morphing. Uh, some people think it's almost uh, to the ridiculous, but she has obviously touched so many lives so long after she had passed away. Um, what can you say? Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring up, because Mae Woolsey also has a paranormal aspect to her story also. Absolutely. Um, it's said that if you touch her tombstone, you can feel her presence sometimes. Um, people have heard her, um, heard her laughter, her talking, singing. Uh, you have heard it? Uh, I, I haven't heard it, but I had another connection okay. with her. And while we were still taking care of the, the plots that we had adopted, <clears throat> we would go down there almost every Saturday to do this. And so every time we went down there, I would go over and touch May's headstone mm -hmm. to say hi and talk to her. And I was... I was letting Tina know that I was going to go over there and see her. But I was still putting stuff away in our vehicle. And in the process of that, I felt a push on on my hip. Right. In that direction. Okay, yeah, I remember you talking about that. And, mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it, was, it, it was very distinct. And I thought that Tina had pushed me. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's how much I felt it. And then I noticed that Tina was So it was, was a strong push, basically. Yes. Right. She was 20 feet away from me, mm -hmm. and it, it's, it was impossible for her to do it. And I, I, I've experienced other things in, in my life, and and that was definitely the the only time that I, that I can say I was physically touched. Mm -hmm. well, that's a, that's an interesting experience here, regardless of of who touched you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. there was no one else around, so so that's that's. Yeah, I could, I could, I could see that staying with you for a while. Yeah, and I'd like Definitely. to think it was her, you know, mm -hmm. pushing me that way. Mm -hmm. Come say hello. Come say hello. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Especially since I was doing it every week. Exactly. Just come say hi to me. You've been doing it all this time. <laughs> Don't stop now. <laughs> now, um, as I was reading about me, I, I saw something about uh, the house that her her parents owned that they lived in. Um, that it had gone through some renovations. And during those renovations, uh, people would talk about things that had been moved, objects thrown. Some people were thinking that it was May Spirit. Um, but mostly, from what I understand, she's kind of, the cemetery is kind of her location. It's where she's at all the time. What some people think is that might have been Mary, her mother, because she was so distraught over May's death and everything. And he changes, especially because of the trunk being discovered and all that. Some people think that, that might have been her saying, you know, stay out of my house. Yeah. You know, it's very possible. Don't, don't mess with my, my daughter's memory. Mother buried right next to her, right? Yes. Mother and father mother are buried right next yeah. to her. Mm -hmm. Luther and Mary Woolsey. Now, she did have an older brother, in, but he had died before her. Before she was born? Yes. He's not buried there? No. no. Does anybody know where he's buried? Uh, wasn't was, didn't he die in the Civil he War? He died in the Civil War. Yeah. So he's he somewhere in the South, now. probably. Oh, okay. Just curious. Um, and even there's even the possibility that because there is so much fascination with May and people that want to 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 believe that May is in that house, 
that energy could bring on paranormal. Oh, sure. Uh, yes, in, definitely. In, in it the, might not the even be either of one of them. It, just might be it could be a, a psychic recording or something like that for somehow. that for that matter as well. True. Um, oh, I had brought this up. Um, and it, I don't know if you remember the story I told you about the uh, the phantom hearse that I had seen at the yes. cemetery. Yes. Okay. Um, I was reading about uh, the railroad engineer, William Brown, mm -hmm. and how he had passed. Um, and the story about how, uh, about his funeral procession made me think that that was actually what I saw. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to tie in. It was just a very, very weird experience. <laughs> I'm driving down Broadway, passing the cemetery, and I just kind of glanced to the right, and I see this phantom horse-drawn hearse with a... Uh, about four horses attached to it and a procession of people moving through the cemetery. And just, it was just like the, there's this deep blue glow about everything too. It was very surreal. And it's one of those, one of those things that you just don't forget basically. But I was thinking it might've been uh, the engineer, William Brown, because he has been said to have shown up after his passing too, occasionally. And um, would you like to talk about William Brown? Sure. Okay. He, uh, really quick, he is, my husband has never done drugs willingly and <laughs> completely sober when this incident happened to him. Just to, just to want to air I'm a straight arrow, yes. Yeah. He's a teetotaler for the most part, guaranteed. So go ahead, I'm sorry. I just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> well, so was William C. Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was William C. Brown. Okay. It was, I found a few articles. I wasn't sure if I was looking at the same person. Yeah, because there are several William Browns. Right. Down there. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of William Browns. Yeah. And a lot of them deal with the railroad, too, I noticed yes. as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. But William C. Brown, he, uh, in 1881, uh, was running the 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 uh, the train from Sacramento down to Oakland, back and forth, mm -hmm. and generally, what he would do is he would, once he entered Oakland, there was a switch there that allowed for the train to go into town. So they would go to the depot, drop his passengers or or whatever he had, and then he was able to come back out of town and head back up to Sacramento. Well, on this particular day, he was trying to make up some time. Mm -hmm. He had the the California First Infantry Regiment's band with him, and those are the people that he were he was transporting. And because he was going a little bit too fast, when he came up that switch, it was at the last moment that he noticed that the switch was not turned for local; it was turned for the wharf. So someone actually so so somebody had not, not turned the, it turned for, switch the wrong yeah, way. Somebody okay. had not turned it for him. Mm -hmm. And he was unable to slow the train down fast enough to come to a stop there. And where that switch is, right after that, not 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 far after that, mm -hmm. is where the wharf ended. Okay. And so he he instructed his firemen to disconnect the the cars. And in the process, that sets the brakes on the cars. Right, so, so they, they start to slow down. So they start to slow down on their own. Right, and in 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 a normal case, it does take quite a quite a ways for a train to stop. Mm -hmm. And if you're coming in too fast and you're trying to stop in a short distance, you're never going to do it. So that was his rationale for 
having the, the cars disconnected. And in the process, he also told his firemen that he, as soon as they were over the water for him to jump and his firemen refused to do it, but he, but William told him that he has to do it. And remember, this is November. Mm-hmm. So the water's cold. The water's cold in the bay all the time. Oh, yeah. This in is November, true. <laughs> it's extremely cold. Yes. Oh, yes. So as the cars are coming to a stop, only one person was injured. And that was somebody that was in the process of everybody flying forward was the person in the very front who got kind of smashed of up against the, 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 the bulkhead. Mm-hmm. Now, the firemen, once they got out over the water, he was able to jump. And William was still trying to stop the train. And as it as it breached the uh, the stop, the train flipped over mm-hmm. upside down right. and landed into the into the bay. Yeah. Now the newspaper article actually states that as they as they pulled the engine up the following day because they couldn't get a crane out there, uh, his hands were still clasped on the brakes in an attempt to stop the, right. the train. But like you said, that wouldn't be possible because the train had actually it flipped would, over. Yeah, it would be impossible mm-hmm. because he would automatically try to, the body would try to float to the top, right. which would be upside down, so mm-hmm. that'd be the floor. Right. And, but, it's, and it's not likely that he's going to actually still be clutching that brake unless rigor set in like that, yeah. you know. Which, which is doesn't which happen, doesn't, especially, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially if it's that cold. Mm-hmm. But like you said, paper sensationalized back. Okay, so I want to shift away from the cemetery now because we've talked about that for for almost an hour. <laughs> but nothing wrong with that. Nope. We actually want you to come back and talk to us another time, share more cemetery stories, well, or whatever stories you want. Definitely, <laughs> we are totally cool with that. Well, guys, sp- speaking of stories, which you want, I mean, <laughs> this particular series is Spooky Sacramento, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Old Sacramento and some of the historic buildings that are out there too. Uh, so I'm going to name off a few a few buildings, and you guys tell me what you know about them, and I'll interject with some things I found out, maybe. Okay, maybe. Maybe <laughs> you guys <laughs> we'll know. See. I'm sure you know more than I do. Oh yeah. Some of the stuff I found actually, you your name was mentioned on it through KCRA. I oh, think it was yeah. something like that. You did interviews yeah. with them, yeah. That was an interesting little Definitely. interview. <laughs> so, okay, let's start with the River City Saloon. River City Saloon, built in the 1870s. It is the oldest continuously operated uh, bar saloon mm-hmm. in uh, Sacramento. And uh, I think it's 1874. Anyway, um, it originally was... Uh, the building that existed there before the Great Fire of 1852 mm-hmm. was a hospital for all the 1850 cholera victims. Okay. Or a lot of them, anyway. And so a lot of people died in a very small amount of space. Mm-hmm. So then 1852 came along, burned down that building, and not that long afterwards, they did build the building that now houses the River City Saloon. Okay. And actually, when you take an underground tour, it's kind of attached in a roundabout way right next to the Hall Lures building, which is where we go underneath. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we're in that uh, section of the building, we talk about the fact that uh, up above the exit sign is uh, or, uh, where the city saloon is. Anyway, so uh, going on with that. So once it became the saloon, 
I'm sure there were stories over the years, uh, but over the last 20 years or so, uh, I have heard about stories of glasses falling off of the shelves, mm -hmm. uh, chairs or stools knocking over or whatever. And most of it occurs after the place is closed. Right. But um, I'm certain when you have, and in Sacramento in 1850, somewhere between uh, six to a thousand, 600 to a thousand people died in a very short amount of time. Right. You're talking and about a lot, a lot of, of souls going there. through there within a span mm -hmm. of almost two centuries. So, yeah. Right. So there's a lot of energy there. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. So that one I consider, uh, and, and it's always got a kind of a creepy element in, in it anyway, if you've ever walked in there. But, uh, well, the lighting me, helps with that too. <laughs> <laughs> just, just being in the area, um, I always get kind of a creepy, uneasy vibe. But it's never been enough for me to not want to do a tour, especially in the dark. It makes it even that much more creepy. Uh, yeah, I imagine. And you mentioned uh, the underground, so we might as well talk about that too. You do the underground <laughs> tours as well. We actually, tours. if if you aren't aware of that here in Sacramento, we actually in Old Sacramento have an underground tour. Part of Sacramento is actually buried under Old Sacramento, Old Sacramento itself. And uh, please tell us about that. Okay. Uh, well, so the underground is actually part of what is left of the original street level of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And in the 1860s, we had a large flood, the uh, arc storm type flood, uh, act of God type flood that almost uh, wiped not just the city of Sacramento, but uh, it affected the whole state of California and the whole West Coast of the United States. And uh, so we decided uh, the best thing to do was to move a river. And imagine in the 1860s to move a river. Yeah, that took a so lot of we work. Moved, <laughs> uh, the Sacramento River just moseys on down mm -hmm. next to the city, but the American River meanders all over the place. And so we decided we were going to move the American River. Right. And we did about a mile down uh, from where it used to flow, which was right behind, right near the Ice Street Bridge. Uh, and now it is about a mile down at a place called Discovery Park. And uh, in the meantime, over the years, we, we uh, took bulkhead and buttresses, which were uh, courtesy of a lot of the railroad workers, uh, to... Uh, lift up the level of the streets and then it would have to be first thing uh we move the river then we build levees around the whole city then we have to move the streets up to the same height as the levees mm -hmm. so uh, the first area that got lifted was one closest to the water so front street and the the river walk area got lifted about 20 25 feet by the time you get to second street uh, give or take a foot, probably between 12 and 16 feet got lifted. And if you drive in downtown Sacramento, you're going to find a lot of alleyways that in between uh, between streets that dip down ever so slightly. And uh, the alleyway between front and second uh, is a good indication as to where the street level was as opposed to where the street level is. Now, the buildings that are built there in those alleyways, is that actually part of the original structure then? In some cases, in some it cases. depends. Um, the Hall Lures building, which is one of the buildings we go underneath, which is right next to the River City Saloon, 
that uh, got lifted up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the B.F. Hastings building got lifted up. And in with Hall Lures, you have to understand that even though it got lifted up, uh, the brick has decayed in some of the areas of some of these buildings. And so you will look at the mason work on the sides of the buildings. Usually it's easiest on the alleyway side because that's where the brick is most exposed. Mm-hmm. You will see one type of brick and then another type of brick, and then it goes up layers. So a lot of these buildings have probably been rebuilt several times. Um, in, in the 1950s, they decide they're going to build uh, the K Street Mall. They're going to put the I-5 freeway over Sacramento. They're going to do all of this stuff. And that area of Sacramento that we now called Old Sacramento, call Old Sacramento, uh, had fallen into very bad decay. There were a lot of uh, homeless shelters and missions and uh, men jumping on and off trains. So uh, it was not an area where you would bring your children, uh, family type area. Uh, graffiti over all over the walls, broken windows. And uh, now I can tell you a little bit about the B.F. Hastings building, which is uh, on the corner of 2nd and J Street. And the B.F. Hastings building is one of the most significant buildings in the state of California uh, because it was uh, not only a bank for Mr. B.F. Hastings, but it also housed the Western Terminus for the Pony Express and for uh, Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. All uh, start in that building. In the first and, Supreme right. Court. Yes, in the first, well, mm, that, that's under well. debate. But uh, definitely uh, Wells Fargo and the Pony Express. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that particular building was lifted. Uh, and when you go into that, underneath that building in the underground tour, you, uh, you can see where the bulkhead and buttresses are and you can see that even when it rains on a day like uh, a few months ago when we had heavy rain, it's got condensation coming in through the ceiling, even though there's concrete above. So that wetness is so still seeping it's in. still seeping in, even okay. today. Hmm. And the B.F. Hastings building, uh, we are very lucky to be able to go underneath that particular building. Uh, you can see the different levels of brick and uh, people have been touching that brick over the years and uh, the oils on your fingers after a certain amount of time and people leaning on it or touching it, brick turns to dust. Right. And so uh, once it turns to dust, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So we try to let people know about that. When not to touch. Yeah. No touching. Looking, yep. no, no, not touch. even, yeah. Looking, no touching. It definitely has that musty <laughs> smell like at one time it was underwater. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, definitely. Um, any uh, experiences while you've been down there? Uh, for me, the electrical has been a big issue. And uh, sometimes I've been talking to people and the lights flicker on and off really fast. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at everybody else, seeing if they if, did. Was I the only one uh, type of mentality? And right. they're all looking at me like they, they too or wondering what the heck was just going on. <laughs> and it has happened. Uh, they say they have updated the electrical, so they say that shouldn't be happening again. But one never knows. Now we'll have to take a tour and find out. Absolutely. <laughs> as soon as they open up again. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And, and you definitely can feel the energy levels change. Mm-hmm. And under the Hall Lures building, 
there was a it, it, there was it, it, we, when you get cold spots mm-hmm. and, and you know people automatically assume that that's a spirit. Well, the uh, towards towards the back of the which which would actually be the front of the building, but towards the back of the space, mm-hmm. it where the where the hollow sidewalk where, where the hollow sidewalk is, you you feel a lot of cold areas, right? And the reason being is it, it's not like this anymore. But if you walk all the way to the edge of the of the building, you could look down and you could see daylight running all the way through. So it was just it was like a one inch gap, and that's where all the air would come through and it would give you cold spots. Right. It, it was great during the summer because it'd be nice cool air Definitely. flowing through there. Sounds but like they, fun. But they sealed it off because a lot of vermin were getting in there. Right. But before that, you got people saying, "I feel a cold spot yeah. here." Oh yeah, yeah. they they had it's a, a ghost cats. or something They've like had that. Volunteers. Yeah. They've had. Volunteers, mm-hmm. plants coming up out of nowhere mm-hmm. in oh. an area that gets absolutely no sunlight. Right. See plants coming up out of nowhere? Yeah. Oh, okay. Out of the ground in an area that has absolutely no sunlight. So how did this plant all of a sudden spring up out of nowhere? It turns out the place had air conditioning the whole time. Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Cat droppings or whatever. Okay, let's see. Uh, how about the Delta King? Have you guys either had, either of you had experiences on the Delta King? Nope. No. Okay. Now I can tell you one thing though that um, its sister ship is on the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. the Delta Queen. Delta Queen. Yes. The Delta King uh, by the 1980s uh, had gone into very bad disrepair, and in the 1990s, a gentleman purchased it and refurbished it mm-hmm. to where it is now. Uh, so I'm certain there could be stories. Actually, I've heard stories about um, the captain's ghost. Ah. Um, Apparently in the wheelhouse, they can. He's been spotted there, and there have been a few noises here and there. The dining hall apparently has uh, some instances where some of the place settings have been moved, and no one's been in the room. So a lot of things going on there too. I'm going to have to explore there one day just to get a feel for it and hopefully talk to somebody. Well, here's something <laughs> up your wheelhouse: the Sacramento Visitor Center and History Museum. And also the Railroad Museum, if you guys want to touch on those, any of those, your choice. Okay, uh, Railroad Museum is new. So yeah. it's been around since the late 70s, early 80s when it was built. Mm-hmm. And that is a great location because originally that area uh, going out towards the rail yards and the old uh, uh, Union Pacific or Southern Pacific buildings um, was China Sloop. Okay. And... There are great stories about the Chinese immigrants, uh, the the descendants of those Chinese immigrants being a little on the upset side that uh, they had to give up their ancestral homes due to eminent domain. Now, I can tell you, in the 1860s, the city of Sacramento gave the Chinese immigrants that land to build houses on. Mm-hmm. And... Um, this was right when they were building the Transcontinental Railroad, right when uh, they had moved the American River. And that area still could be considered in some respects a floodplain. And so the Chinese immigrants outsmarted a lot of individuals by building their houses, just like they would uh, in uh, the other part of the world where they were from on stilts. Mm-hmm. And uh, they... Uh, this is what I have heard that those particular individual houses 
uh, could survive a lot of disaster because they were smart. Yeah, actually, yeah, if you drive down um, down uh, 160 on the river road there mm -hmm. uh, to, to the town of Locke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's built the same way. Everything is mm -hmm. built on, so they're on the opposite side of the river, of course. But if it were ever to, if the levee were ever break and it flood, they'd be fine. Yeah, yep. a lot of the houses we, we drove through there going to visit his parents and den and his dentist. Mm -hmm. Smart <laughs> individuals. Yep. Yeah. Well, a lot of the houses in, in Louisiana are the same way out near the swamplands. They're built up on with tin roofs because, yep. you know, fire and thunder and lightning. And they're built on stilts. They can withstand flooding, too. So it's a common thing. Yeah, I was stationed in Louisiana. And so it was uh, pretty common to, to, to see some of the backwoods houses like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You do what you do, you got to do to survive. Oh, yeah. So I want to talk about an individual who was pretty shrewd himself. Um, the Dingley Steam Coffee and Spice Mill Nathaniel building. Daniel Dingley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's buried in the city cemetery. And his building, uh, there's the Railroad Museum. Then the Big Four building, which is, says... 54 on it and a mm -hmm. uh, very important address and then the history museum or city hall building is the one closest to the tracks in the river right and it's ironic because nathaniel dingley did not get along and did not think much of the big four or the railroad and uh it's ironic his building wasn't originally attached to their to the huntington hopkins hardware building mm -hmm. and Somehow it ended up being attached to it anyway, because both of those buildings were, were other places. Right. And then they got put there. Now they're neighbors, whether they wanted to be or not. Um, spinning in his grave. Oh, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. what I was just thinking. Now, I had heard that Nathaniel Dingley was actually siphoning power from the adjacent building mm -hmm. to... Um, Stop doing your Dr. Evil sorry. impersonation. Sorry. <laughs> So, anyway, <laughs> sorry guys. So yeah, he he was a bit of a uh, spendthrift, for lack of a better word, um, by siphoning power off his neighbor's building. That wouldn't shock. Me. And they say that even in death, he's still doing it. That he's not siphoning the power, but he's actually conserving the power by turning off the lights in the building. That is one of the areas we had over the years been trying to get to do underground tours. Under. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of because that is a state park building. We're kind of not able to, uh, but that was originally a location we had tried to. We are trying to get 117 J Street, which is the old Masonic uh, Bennett Hall mm -hmm. and the old Union Building uh, for an escape room, which hopefully sometime in the future, if that ever comes to pass, that would be also quite an that would be great as an escape room, yes. In the 1970s and 80s, it was uh, a disco and, cool. and uh, bar and all of this stuff. And I guess they left a lot of mirrors on the walls and some other interesting yeah. things. I must have missed out on that one. Yeah. Of course, back then, it was always the time zone for me when I was down there playing video games. <laughs> Miss that place. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, how about the Vernon Brannan House? Building. Yes. The Vernon Brannan Building... Uh, was uh, See, I told you to get back to it. Was one of Sam <laughs> Brannan's many buildings, and that is one of the buildings. Until recently, we thought uh, was was lifted. Oh, and it wasn't lifted actually. No. 
Okay. In fact, we found, uh, in fact, the custodian uh, at the History Museum found a photograph of that building from 1964. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the building now, the second set of windows on the second uh, story have an uneven uh, section to them. Like the bottom ones are, are all straight across, and then the second section, there's one that goes through. And oh. we thought, oh, that had to happen because the building was lifted. No, we found a, a photograph from 1964, be, well, right at the beginning of redevelopment of the that area of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And those windows were like as that. straight as straight. could be. So and how did they so fall? When they were doing redevelopment, they were sized, probably doing some seismic uh, and, oh. and cosmetic work on the building. And so modern day caused that. Nothing from 150 years ago. <laughs> Oops. It, it, and, and so uh, just, like, just like everything else, uh, we find out new information. And it happens all the time. Our stories have to change because of that. We said, oh, that's because that building was lifted. Then we found out that's not why it's not like that case. at all. It's because it's something modern day that happened. And in the case of the building next to it, which is Fat City, mm-hmm. Fat City uh, looks like all the other buildings are two-story or whatever, and then there's Fat City. But Fat City is just a one-story building that they just made look like it was two stories. They just kept the top story for that. And if you look at the back of the Vernon Brandon house... Going down the alley, it actually looks like it's leaning forward, mm-hmm. and, and and it is. But again, that's because of whatever work they did in the sixties and early seventies. Right. Okay. And then the building right across from it uh, is nothing but a bunch of columns in a uh, courtyard area, and that is called the Pioneer uh, Park. And Pioneer Park was actually Pioneer Bakery. Mm-hmm. It was a building that existed there. And if you look at the wall next to it, there are bricked-in uh, door openings or window openings yes, that at yes. one time mm-hmm. were, were, was a pass-through from one building to another. And unfortunately, when you had buildings like that that had a common wall, when one building caught on fire... They all oh, caught on fire. So then they started. If you walk the alleyways, you will see that all the brick buildings now have just even the smallest amount of space in between them. On the street sides, they they all look like they're all joined together. But there is separation, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It per- permitted those buildings to, uh, one caught on fire, it would just be contained. Yeah, I've wandered over by the park a couple times, and and I saw those pillars and everything. I always wondered if there was something there before that. All those pillars mm-hmm. actually came from in front of, of buildings in Old right. Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a little park too, it's really beautiful. It is. Um, it is quite. It's unique. it's well gardened, and the pillars just make it. Yeah, it makes it really That's unique. Really yeah. And you'll see uh, Quinceaneras, mm-hmm. the the photos for them, and and even uh, engagement photos. 
Oh, I've yeah. I've seen the engagement yeah, photos. Seen yeah. mm-hmm. I've actually seen a woman in her wedding, not just engagement. I saw a woman in her wedding dress after her wedding. They went down there just to take the pictures down there because it's so pretty. And don't forget prom night. Prom night, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Teenagers. Um, oh, yeah. We have just two more things to bug you about. Okay. And then we'll release you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Eagle Theater. The Eagle Theater. And Sutter Score. Those are the last two things we will harass you about. Okay. I can tell you about Eagle Theater. Now, the Eagle Theater, that's actually not the original it's building, not, is it? No. But it is the original location. Right, right. And the original Eagle Theater was built in October of 1849. Mm-hmm. And so it was only around for about three months before January, some say the 4th of January, some say the 15th of January. The first documented floods happened here in Sacramento. And mm-hmm. uh, the original Eagle Theater, most likely there's a performance going on, and it's made of wood and canvas. And uh, here comes one of the first major floods the Sacramento was documented, and there went the Eagle Theater down uh, the river. Right. And uh, so many years later, they chose to rebuild of the same materials in the same location as the original Eagle Theater because the original Eagle Theater was the first theater built in the state of California. The first. And very important to remember that the fact that this is at the beginning of the gold rush and miners coming to Sacramento, they've gone to the Assayers office, which is uh, now the uh, big patio, underground patio area. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got all this money to burn now and entertainment's number one on their list and going to the stinking tent or the Eagle theater. Some of these other places that used to be right there were that, uh, 1849 same green area is uh, in front of the big four building. That was that was he- heaven to them. That's seeing a woman exposing her ankles or her wrists or her neck, the nape of her neck. And that's yeah, like Lola Montez <laughs> yep. or uh, whoever uh, would be uh, entertaining uh, gentlemen or uh, anyone in those type of establishments. Very important entertainment. Now, what I what I find interesting is you don't see a lot about any hauntings of the theater itself. But one of the one of the ghosts that's mentioned actually is a more recent spirit. Uh, supposedly, there's a uh, the theater is haunted by the ghost of a 1970s director. Do you know anything about that? No, I don't. Oh. that's interesting. Yeah, I found it here on, on this uh, on. KCRA's website, matter of fact. <laughs> How about that? But, but again, that's even though the location uh, is the footprint is the same place, mm-hmm. it's 25 feet higher as yes. well. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it's who knows? It's possible. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but like I said, you're talking about a recent uh, occurrence versus something from the past. So right. That would but, make more sense. But I have, I, I have had. Uh, energy feelings in there mm-hmm. changes of, of, of the energy and it's interesting the restroom is downstairs uh-huh. oh yes so you have to go down these stairs that's it's kind of creepy and you're and, and i don't know if you ever ate in fat city how i've been fat city now okay well it, it's closed now but mm-hmm. its restroom was downstairs as well and which was a lot of the buildings are like that actually cafe. a lot of them are, are downstairs yeah yeah and, and it's you just get a really creepy feeling mm-hmm in some of those places and, and, and on second street, there used to be 
many, many years ago, a place called the Scottish Castle, I believe. Yes, yes. I remember the Scottish Castle. And, Why is that familiar? And I, and I love that, and especially the fact that you were walking through the archways. You were walking through the archways, and they used the, the bulkhead and buttresses to mm -hmm. display their product, too. Oh, yeah, and, and just moving That's through those corridors. Like you could, in my head. And moving just through those corridors, because it wasn't just that place, but there were a couple others down there in that section, round too. Round table pizza. Round table pizza, yeah. And you could feel something. It's creepy going, going down, down the stairs to round definitely. table. And you know you're going in there for food, but it just feels creepy just going down the There's stairs a vibe, there. Definitely. There's a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, back entrance to round table pizza, one time Troy and I were there in October and I had a I had a meeting at the museum and it's a really blustery evening and there's uh, the trees are quaking and leaves are falling and there's a tattoo parlor that's back door. Mm -hmm. uh, it was to that alley. So we're walking out the back door of round table pizza, walking up the stairs, and all of a sudden, whack, those doors to that tattoo parlor, uh, double doors opened. Just, just and there's nothing but Just by themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of seconds later, we're talking to each other, bam, this <laughs> <laughs> and nothing is power of suggestion to a person like me with an imagination than <laughs> what happened there. Because I mean, definitely. Yeah. Get out of like, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any door slam you. open and close there that with, with that much severity. Anyway, and now that I think they have an underground golf mm -hmm. uh, thing there. The yeah, I heard about that. I have to check that out someday. One place I've got to mention or, or to bring up was the Sacramento Visitor Center. No, the I Visitor didn't Center is Did you? in yeah. the Hastings building. Okay. So uh, I have spent many days there by myself. I brought I, that up with uh, the, the History Museum and the Railroad Museum. Okay. Sometime. Yeah, you did all Sorry, that's right. No, anyway, you're fine. That's okay. So the, the Visitor Center is part of the Hastings building. Uh, so there's two sec sections. There's the Wells Fargo Museum and then the Visitor Center. And the Visitor Center uh, is a state park building. The Hastings building is a state park building. And it's manned by a nonprofit mm -hmm. on city land. Okay. Where the History Museum is a nonprofit in a city building on state park land. So you can tell that there's tons of different entities. So if you're in one section of Old Sacramento and something happens, they call SAC PD. Mm -hmm. If you're in the other section, they're going to call State Parks Rangers. So it's interesting. And that alarm has had nothing but issues. Sometimes it's been coded and you start to walk out on woo, 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 before you even get the the door closed and it's the same code you've used a hundred times. Right. So I always wondered if somebody doesn't want me to, but the, the, uh, the old Sacramento person in charge, Scott Ford, his, uh, office is Turn above board. that in that upper level. And that's always been the part that has always interested me because that's where the state Supreme court was. Okay, this episode's running a little long. I apologize, folks, but I hope I hope we've kept your interest for, for the duration. Um, before we let you go, we wanted to, uh, wanted to, we noticed you have some books here. We wanted to know if you wanted to promote, promote them oh. or talk about them or anything. I'll talk about uh, Sacramento's Gold Rush Saloons, which they say is El Dorado in a uh, shot glass, and that has many of the stories of... Uh, 
the area a four block radius from Front Street all the way up to maybe Fourth or Fifth, and uh, I Street all the way up to maybe L Street, and stories of murder and prostitution, political corruption, suicides, all the fascinating things that made Sacramento a very interesting place to live. I would imagine during the Gold Rush years. And the story of Maria Rupp is yeah, in there Maria too. Rupp's right. story is in this, and Frederick Rowe. Also a great story. We'll save for maybe next time. That's a great murder story. And then the other book I have is uh, Western Cemeteries of the Western Sierra. Now, what, while that doesn't have much to do with anything about Sacramento, it does pique people's interest if they love cemeteries. The, oh, yeah. Uh, like we do. We love cemeteries. <laughs> both on the Placer County side and on the El Dorado County side are full of tiny little cemeteries. Some of them are uh, just Chinese. Some of them are Native American. A lot of them got obliterated during the gold rush, especially when people got greedy, greedy, stopped with just the sluicing. Now they're doing the hydraulic mining and blasting away Mm -hmm. the topography of the original uh, Sierra Nevada foothills. Right. Um, So uh, there are some wonderful people up there working now uh, to try to uh, find remnants of some of these old cemeteries. Anyway, these are uh, found not only on the History Museum's website, but also uh, on Arcadia Publishing's website. And and what were the titles one more time? Oh, uh, Cemeteries of the Western Sierra. There's also one on Cemeteries of the Eastern Sierra. Mm -hmm. Then also Sacramento's Gold Rush Saloons, which they called El Dorado in a Shock Glass. And what do you have, Troy? So this is um, this particular book would probably find your audience... uh, very interesting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ghost stories of California's gold country in Yosemite. You know, knowing that Yosemite was a spiritual land for the Native Americans before Teddy Roosevelt deemed it a national park. Uh, it's it, it covers a lot of that, in, that information. Mm-hmm. But there's also, there's the angel, Maria Rupp's angel. Without right. Her, by the way, her angel has no hands. Without yeah, we forgot to mention that. <laughs> and there are there are several stories in here that that deal with uh, Sacramento. Here's one for Half Dome mm-hmm. uh, or El Capitan, whichever one that is. I think that's Half Dome. That one looks like Half Dome. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, Half Dome doesn't quite look like that anymore. Part of it fell off. That's true. That's Quarter Dome. And quarter, quarter Dome. dome. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it it's a really good read. There's stories of. Uh, Lotus from from Lotus and Coloma mm-hmm. and Placerville and all oh, over okay. all, all over. So you're getting a lot of history there, and along with the ghost stories. So ghost that's, stories that's and pretty history. Cool. My favorite things. Yep. I, I have a thing. I've always had a thing for history. It was one of my best subjects. Everybody's like, "How can you like history? It's so dry." Well. I had really good history teachers. I didn't actually have a good history teacher till college. Well, as we learned tonight, awesome a lot of his, a lot of our history has a lot of what you like too, which is true crime. I love true crime too. Yes, a lot of that going on. One I'm thing twisted. to remember about history is past is prologue. Mm-hmm. If you don't remember what happened in the past, you might be doomed to repeat it. Sadly, true. So everybody, take note of that. Happen soon. <laughs> so one of the tours that we fell in love with at the at the cemetery was the. Victorian symbolism tour and the previous caretaker of that tour every year, she ended up moving to Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So we carried on the tradition and in order to 
even come close to as 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 well of a storyteller as she was. We had to really do some some studying. And one of the the books that saved my life was Stories in Stone, and it's it's a Bible for symbolism of headstones and it, it doesn't just cover what you see in the in the victorian cemeteries it covers in colonial and even up to now so and and, and back to king mausolus who the mausoleum is named after mm-hmm. awesome so it, it covers greek latin uh there's even some orthodox uh Symbolism? Symbolism. I imagine there's a lot of symbolism yeah. in there for oh, yeah. and, and so so there's there's all kinds of symbolism in, in there. And and there's there's other sources too, because I will use sources that I've found on online and other books that I purchased just to verify certain certain aspects of it. Because one one book will tell you that a dove means one thing and another book will tell you something else. And then you look at a third book and it tells you it's both. So a lot of it's all up to interpretation, basically. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and it may only have one meaning because the person who, it may just have the meaning of whoever put who on there specifically. Correct. So it could have the one meaning and not the other, or just depending on who had it mean, right? It, it, yes. Or, that's and, just a guess. It, and, 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 it, and it could it could mean something very special to that person who had the stone cut. Right. But to someone else, it could be just what the standard meaning is. Yeah, so it's just a singular symbol, basically. Yeah. Yes. Great. Recording. So I uh, just wanted to say thank you, Troyantina, for joining us tonight. Troyantina Glasson again. Um, is there anything so you want much. to promote before we go? Uh, we would love to promote tours at the cemetery, but unfortunately, due to the current situation, there are no tours. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Yes, definitely. Because, we will have updates for them. Because uh, October's not too far away, but it may be long enough that there's that the lantern tours may take place. Something might actually happen. That's know. correct. And and we do appreciate you having us. Oh, yes, it's been a pleasure having you here. It's been our honor, and so we much. hope that everyone enjoyed. Book we talked about and we would love to have you back another time too and we can do that because there are just as there's 30 to 40,000 burials there there's 30 to 30 to 40,000 stories Mm -hmm. and I'd love to get more in depth on a few of those stories in the future I want to hear more about Crocker and the urns again maybe next time definitely and and, sounds good I mean there's all sorts of buildings (laughs) we haven't even started to cover yet so there's lots Sacramento is a very very diverse town This is oh yes, small state. Yep. Yes, and and, and that that one story is going to involve Aleister Crowley to a little extent. Oh so, yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. The Crowley, we'll have to, we'll the have to bring up the Crowley Amy connection. Crocker. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for next time. Definitely. Thank you guys. Thank you guys you. have been wonderful. Really appreciate you yep. being here and coming out. Thank you. So, thank you yep. so much. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, tune in next week. Uh, oh, and by the way, forget when this is going to air. It's going to be July third. So. Happy Independence Day to everybody. Stay safe. Keep those fireworks legal. <laughs> and your masks on. And keep your masks on. Yes. Yep. Amen. That's the only way we're going to get out of this. Um, for now, I'm your host, Kent Whittington. And Adriana Camito. And don't forget to check out our website at uh, on Facebook at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. Uh, Troy and Tina will actually be... Uh, 
promoting some of their wares on the group site now. There'll be some pictures and stuff for you to look at. I hope you enjoy that. Also, you can find me at uh, Sacramento Valley Paranormal Society on Facebook. Um, and again, if you want to leave us a message, go ahead and do it through Spotify. There's a link on each of these episodes where you can record a message. We'd love to hear any stories you've got. If you want to just plug us, or you know, if you want to, if you want to hear your voice on the on the on the podcast, we can do that too. Or if you just have some questions, <laughs> or if you just want to say hi, yeah, that's good too. <laughs> have a wonderful weekend and have a, a safe and happy fourth. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. What not?